Welcome to the Grant Writing Simplified Podcast. This is the place to learn how to make a big impact in your community through grant writing and nonprofit consulting. The world needs you to step forward as a grant writer and use your skills to lead with confidence. I'm Teresa Huff, former special ed teacher turned grant writer and nonprofit strategist. In my 20 years of freelancing, I've helped nonprofits triple their funding and exponentially increase their reach. Now I'm stepping up to mentor freelancers and nonprofit leaders like you who are ready to take your skills to the next level. It's time to get intentional about your vision so you can create lasting change in your community. Learn the skills and strategies you need to become the grant writer the world needs. Let's do this. Hey friends, welcome back. We have got some great content coming up these next few weeks for grant writing and nonprofit fundraising, and today is no exception. The number one question I hear most from grant writers is, where do I start? And this is coming from really talented, skilled people. Let me tell you, this is the perfect time of year to start, and I can show you exactly how. Join me and other incredible leaders on the Fast Track to Grant Writer VIP program. I'll take you step-by-step through exactly how to start so you can move forward with confidence as a grant writer. You'll learn the skills and strategies you need to make a bigger income and impact. Think about where you want to be 90 days from now and take action accordingly. Let's get started today at TeresaHuff.com VIP. Now, today's guest is Tim Kuchuriak of Next After, and he asks a really intriguing question, what makes people give? And he's built his entire business around digging into this question. He's actually created an entire fundraising research lab, which is so cool. When you hear how they've designed it and the kinds of research they do, (laughs) I think you'll geek out as much as I did on all this. It's a really interesting, fascinating experiment in behavioral science and things that they really get into. Today, Tim gives me a surprise pop quiz that I wasn't expecting, but it's kind of fun. He talks a lot about leveraging his network and really getting comfortable talking to people. And like I've said a lot, there's a person on the other side of everything, and he gives us some great tips for that. He shares how to optimize your nonprofit fundraising. We talk about experiments and mystery donor studies, which is pretty intriguing. And he just really summarizes what motivates people to give. And this is research-based, very interesting how they've gone about it. Tim has been the author of several books that I will link to in the show notes, and he also has trained organizations around the world, and his organization is also the host of an annual conference. So I will link to everything in the show notes as usual, but this has so much great info today. I think you're really going to love it. So here we go. Tim, welcome to the show. It's great to have you. Tell us a random fact about yourself. Ooh, a random fact about myself. Well, let's see. Which which of these things do you think is true? I was formerly an advisor to the former president of the United States. I was a I worked as a golf professional and I climbed the the face of the half moon. And so which which of those things do you think is most relevant? Ooh. Pop quiz. Um, I'm going to go with the first one. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, and I as- actually also did work as an assistant golf pro during 
college. So I did that for a little while too. Um, but yeah, um, the George Bush Presidential Center, when they built the library at SMU campus and they were building like the, the museum, we did some consulting. So that was pretty cool. Oh, how fun. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And that's probably a good opportunity to meet a lot of people and make connections that maybe you still have. Uh, yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was, it was a great, great opportunity. I mean, it was a $300 million capital campaign to build the, you know, the museum and they kind of like created a policy institute there too, which is pretty cool. We did all the digital fundraising for that campaign. So it was, it was really, really fun. Wow. That's pretty cool. What a way to launch the career there after golf and then into that. So, (laughs) well, that kind of leads to the next question. Tell us a little bit about your journey and how you got into nonprofit work. Yeah, I think probably like most people, I took a pretty indirect path. So, you know, my story, I graduated from college right after 9-11, horrible time to enter into the job force, especially for somebody who wanted to work in the field of advertising and marketing. But as I mentioned, I worked uh, at a country club all during high school and college. So I had 432 aunts and uncles that were captains of industry. So I called Uncle Joe. You know, he's the president of the country club. He also was the president of the second largest ad agency and did my little dog and pony. He's like, man, I'd love to hire you, kid. But, you know, we've been uh, really struggling. 9-11's hit our industry hard, our agency harder. I, I can't help you. Uh, so that was my experience coming out of college, couldn't find a job. I met a, a serial entrepreneur that encouraged me to start my own business. I did that for about five years. And then I just like, I don't know, I was drawn more to like causes, you know, like I, I, I loved marketing. I loved what I was doing, but I wanted to do it for something that actually like meant something. And, uh, and so I had the opportunity to go join up with a nonprofit. And uh, I did that for a brief time, about probably not quite two years it was during that time I realized that there's actually like marketing agencies that work with and serve nonprofit organizations. So I got you know recruited to go join one. They were a direct mail shop. They had been doing that for 30 years and they wanted to start moving to this brave new digital world and asked if I'd start a digital fundraising division. So I did. So that's, uh, I, I joined their team in 2008 and was there for about two and a half years. We got acquired by another agency. And during that time, I just became obsessed with trying to understand how do we optimize fundraising, right? Like there's so much talk about conversion science and behavioral economics in the for-profit space, but nobody was talking about it in the nonprofit space, or at least nobody that I was talking to. So I thought that would be a pretty cool place to camp out. And what I discovered, because I specialized in digital fundraising, is like the web is an incredibly powerful behavioral laboratory, right? Because instead of asking people what they think, we can actually like run different experiments and see how they behave, which is fascinating. So that's when I got the idea to start Next After in 2012, and we've been doing that ever since. We've documented about 3,000 different online fundraising experiments across a whole range of different organizations. We do all these mystery donor studies, and it's really all focused on trying to understand what motivates and inspires donors to give. So that's that's my story. (laughs) That's an interesting story, and it's interesting to hear how each piece kind of built on the one before. I think a lot of us are the same way, Mm -hmm. but you probably had no idea when you were trying to find a job at the country club that you were making connections and marketing yourself and building skills that you would still be using today. Exactly. That's right. And I tell people that all the time. Like I really learned how to talk to people when I worked there. Because you think about it, like people that like belong to country clubs usually like are, you know, they're pretty high powered professionals and stuff in the business world. And it can be very intimidating, but I just learned that like on the golf course, that's the great leveler. You know, everybody's just a person, 
And uh, they didn't want to like, you know, have their behind kiss. They just wanted to be treated like a normal person. So like that was actually really important for me to develop that, that comfort level of just talking to people. And that's important for our work in fundraising too. I mean, sometimes we're, we're talking with donors or, or foundations that have tremendous resources and that can be very, very intimidating. So like having that comfort level and just realizing at the base level, you know, we're all just kind of like people, you know? <laughs> Yes. I say that a lot on the show is there's a person on the other side of everything you write. If it's a grant application, an email, it's not an ATM machine on the other side. It's a person. So we've got to write for the person. Exactly right. That's hard. That's hard for people to do sometimes because we sometimes get so much inside of our own head. We have kind of like this organizational mindset and we're like so close to the work that we have a hard time sometimes getting the light bulb to go off for the person on the other side of the screen. And then we layer over top of that, like all of like this marketing stuff that we think that we need to do. And it like totally just dehumanizes people, right? We use terms like my target audience and I'm going to go blast them with emails, you know, and I'm going to go and capture new lead. I mean, it's like, who wants to be targeted or captured or blasted? Nobody. So put into a funnel. (laughs) Oh my gosh, please. I know. So it's like, it's, it's just about like really us changing the way we think about who it is that we're serving, like these, these donors, these supporters, these people that are giving significant resources to help our causes move forward. And, you know, that's, that's the part that I get excited about. Mm -hmm. Right. And what you said about people wanting to get into nonprofit work because they wanted to be about a bigger cause and a part of something bigger than themselves. And I think if we flip that around as well and look at the donors that way, Mm -hmm. they want to be a part of a bigger cause and we need to give them that opportunity. We don't need to chase them down for money. We need to pave the way for them to be a part of the cause with us. Exactly. So I would love to dig into this. I'm so intrigued by these hints you're dropping and these mystery donors and this data you're collecting, because as you know, well, in grant writing, we have to report on tons of data. We have to collect data and we have to come up with all kinds of research to support our reasoning for these requests, whether it's grants or just writing a fundraising letter or a donor appeal. So let's dig into that and tell us a little more about that and what you found and some of your recommendations. Yeah, sure. So we, you know, as I mentioned, we kind of like do two types of research. We do both forensic research where we analyze large amounts of data across the nonprofit sector. And what we're looking for in the data from our perspective is patterns that lead to opportunities to unlock greater digital fundraising performance. So we're hyper-focused around that. So the problem we've run into, though, is that the kind of data we're most interested in analyzing either doesn't exist or it's not readily accessible. And that's because what we're trying to access is the perspective of the nonprofit organization from the donor's point of view, right? And so we found the best way to get that perspective is just by becoming donors ourselves. So that's what we do. It's like every year, uh, about three or four times a year, we'll do one of these major mystery donor studies, as the name implies. We'll go subscribe to hundreds of different organizations at the same time. We'll monitor everything they send us, every email, text message, voicemail. I've got boxes of direct mail piled <laughs> to the ceiling. We analyze the pieces of correspondence and wait for the organization to invite us to become a financial partner by giving a gift. And when they do that, we go online to their website and we'll give a donation as small as $20, as large as $5,000. And then we continue to monitor how the organization communicates and engages with us over time. We're trying to map this uh, kind of like donor journey from like visitor, subscriber to donor and beyond. And it's fascinating. When we do these studies, we always see that 
the way that nonprofit organizations communicate and relate to their donors varies wildly, right, from organization to organization. So we take a lot of the things that we learn from the mystery donor stuff and we go test it. We say, look, if organization A is doing this and organization B is doing this, how do we know what works best? So that's moves into the other kind of research we do, which is applied research. We're basically using that web as a laboratory to run rigorous scientific experiments to figure out what works and what doesn't work. I think to date, we've documented about 3,000 different online fundraising experiments across hundreds of different organizations, and we're just scratching the surface. But there's one huge meta finding, uh, and it's not going to be like earth shattering to you, that has come out of all of this research. And it's that people don't give to websites. They don't give to direct mail campaigns. They don't give to email campaigns. People give to people. And the more that we can humanize our communications, the more effective it is. So it gets back to that conversation that we were, we were having earlier about like really just taking note and embracing the fact that this is a, another person that's, you know, has emotions and complex, you know, thoughts and desires and like just trying to kind of like, you know, wrestle with that a little bit. Mm -hmm. This is kind of parallel to in the business world where businesses are all over the spectrum in how they market, how they approach customers, how they try to sell things. And nonprofits are the same way where it runs the whole gamut of how they try to reach out to donors. What do you think would be, I mean, we don't want to create cookie cutter nonprofits. We don't want everybody doing the same thing. They need to keep it unique. But what are some ways that they can really step up their game to speak more directly to the people themselves and to those donors. Let me give you um, a very practical thing first, and then I'll kind of like get, give you something that's a little bit more strategic. So, so first on the tactical level, we've analyzed thousands of different nonprofit emails, like thousands and thousands and thousands. And if you look at most nonprofit fundraising emails, they have lots of design to them. There's like HTML and graphics and images and big clickable buttons. And there's multiple calls to action of like, give now, give now, give now. And the problem with that is when a potential donor sees that in their inbox, all they see is somebody trying to market to them, right? Right. But again, people don't want to be marketed to, they want to be communicated with, right? People give to and people. And we get a lot of marketing emails anyway. Tons. Yeah, that's right. We're not just Nonprofits aren't just competing against other nonprofits, but for against every single company on planet Earth that's trying to get in our inbox and extracts, you know, dollars from us to buy their product or service. So it, you're right; it's it's a huge kind of you know cluttered inbox that we have to deal with. But what we have found, and this is something we've tested with dozens of organizations, we've done in different countries and different languages. Instead of sending this highly designed email that has all this marketing veneer get rid of all that stuff, get rid of the images, get rid of the graphics, get rid of the buttons, and even rewrite the email so it sounds like it comes from one human to another human. We've tested that straight up in an A-B split test. And that plain text, that more simplified, that more genuine sounding email, two, three, four, 500% increase in donations by taking that approach. So wow. That's the very, very tactical, practical, pragmatic thing that any of your listeners can actually try is just really kind of simplifying things and actually communicating more like you would send an email to a friend, right? Mm-hmm. And the numbers don't lie. Yes. No, that's it. I mean, I can go and show you case study after case study of where that works. And again, we've done it. We did it in, in Italy, in Italian. I can't even speak Italian, but, but just that concept actually had 300% increase in donations. So that's wow. really pragmatic. But like out of all of our testing, out of all of our research, the number one thing that we find that really moves the needle in a significant way is not tactical thing, but it's how 
effectively the organization communicates their value proposition. And to us, the value proposition is the answer to a very fundamental question that every single potential donor or grant grantor like has to hear the answer to, but they never verbalize it. The question is this, if I am your ideal donor, why should I give to you rather than some other organization or not at all? That is a question that we have to anticipate and we have to be able to answer appropriately at every single stage of the journey. So we've found a framework that's really helpful to be able to really increase the force of your value proposition. And there's four key dimensions to it. Appeal, exclusivity, credibility, and clarity. So what appeal means is like, you know, whatever it is that your organization does, it has to be something that people like, that they want. It's a change they want to see made in the world, right? So that's the appeal factor. Exclusivity means you need to find something that differentiates your organization from everybody else, right? So like if you do something that's very appealing, like going to solve the world, you know, hunger problem, right? But if everybody else is doing that exact same thing, it dilutes the potency of your message because it doesn't cut through the clutter. Unless you can say, here's how we do it differently. Here's our unique approach. Here's what makes our strategy to be able to solve this problem actually really more effective. And here's the data that backs that up, right? So that's exclusivity. And then there's, um, there's credibility, which means people have to believe the things that you're saying to them, right? They have to be able to trust you. And this is where some of that data becomes incredibly important because you can, anybody can make claims. I can make claims that I am the best online fundraiser in the world, but if I, unless I have data to back that up, to support that, then my claims are baseless, right? So, so credibility is important. And that can come in the form of data or metrics or you know, stories or endorsements, right? Like third-party kind of endorsements that are credibility indicators that say that you can deliver on the promises that you're, you're making. And then the final dimension of an effective value proposition is clarity. I mean, that's the bedrock upon which everything else rests. Unless the donor can understand what it is you're communicating to them, it doesn't matter, right? And we sometimes, again, get so locked into our organizational speak that we can't speak the same language of our donor who is an uninitiated person. They don't live in it every day like you do. And that's probably the hardest part. So that's something that I think would be a great exercise for anybody that's on this call is just get your organization together, get your leadership team, your board, whatever, and have them try to answer that question. If I'm the ideal donor, why should I give to this organization rather than some other organization or not at all? And list out as many different claims of value that you can come up with. And then you can score them based on like the appeal, how attractive you think this is, how exclusive this is, you know, uh, are we the only ones in the world doing this or is everybody else doing this, right? So you're looking for that, that merger between appeal and exclusivity. And then say, how do I actually prove that these claims are true? What's the evidence that could get behind and support my most, my strongest claims, Right. And that's where the data and the facts and the figures and the endorsements come in. And then finally, that clarity, that's, that's the art part of the science where you have to really figure out how to communicate that message in a way that's going to resonate most with your, your potential audience or donors. Mm-hmm. That's something that can always be stepped up. Yeah. Like we can always keep polishing, keep tweaking. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage nonprofits that, yeah, even that's that's a simple enough question, but it's a big question and it's very important. And I think sometimes they maybe either try to avoid it 
or they are afraid of it. That's right. And so they just kind of back away and don't address that head on. But even with grant funding, we have to address the red flags and the questions head on to increase our chances of getting the funding. So this is yeah. the same way. We need to look for those and show that we have a plan, show that we're working on it. We have the data to back it up. That's and those right. types of data you mentioned, those are all available to nonprofits. Like they don't have to go pay or dig deep and find some obscure research. That's all stuff right in front of them that yeah. they can gather themselves. Yeah. There's something you said there that really perked up my attention. You, you said that like you, when you're going through the process of like writing these grants, like you have to go and address all the different red flags. You have to like point out the potential flaws with your, your program, right? Which is yes. really fascinating. And it's an interesting way to build trust, right? Tell me what you can't do. And I might believe you when you tell me what you can do, right? So it's like, that is a really interesting uh, concept. And uh, honestly, that's the first time I've, I've, I've heard that in this context. That's really good. Mm-hmm. I like that. Yeah, I found it to be true a lot because if you try to sweep them under the rug, you can bet that's what the reviewer is going to go straight for and notice and knock off points for. Right. But if you address it and say, look, we're aware of this issue. Here's how we have a plan to deal with it. Here's what we've been doing so far with funding. Here's what we can do to step it up and start to correct that. And so then that alleviates, that shows good faith that, hey, we are working on this. We're aware of it. Nobody's perfect, including us. And here's how we're working to mitigate that. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. I think those are really practical and that would be a great board retreat exercise that I could see a nonprofit could just sit down and do that, like in a strategic planning session and go through that together. Sometimes it just takes that blocking off. Okay. Here is what we're going to focus on and have that chunk of time to really dig into that. That's right. And then if you really want to kind of like, you know, spin people's heads, then you go and you ask your donors the same question Ooh. and see how the delta between how you guys think about value and how people that actually are your supporters um, articulate that. And you'll find that, you know, you're missing each other in many places. Mm-hmm. I bet that would be incredibly insightful for the nonprofit if they were brave enough to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I say brave enough, but it's like with the grant funding, you have to ask, you have to approach them. You have to tell them your flaws, warts mm-hmm. and all. You have to just go. And it's the same with your donors. If they care enough to give, they care enough to know about your problems too. That's right. So just be upfront and be willing to accept that, the good and the bad. That's what you want to improve. Well, for sure. And they may illuminate a whole completely different perspective than what you think is the reasons why people give, right? So that's the thing that we always find fascinating when we do that kind of exercise is just the the delta between our internal articulation of value and how people perceive it on the outside. Yes. And it's like what you said, that sometimes we're so close to it. We can't see it ourselves and we just need that other perspective. Exactly. Would you also do this, say, with your volunteers and other team members besides just the board and that core group? Why not? Uh, I mean, you could even make that like uh, do a variation, like, you know, why should I volunteer here rather than somewhere else? Not, I mean, like whatever that activity is that you're asking people to do, there is a value proposition that should support it. And without like getting research from, so this is why I love testing so much, Teresa. This is, this is why like, I, I love my job. I've been in the nonprofit space for like 15 years. I've worked as a consultant for the last 12. And like, sometimes like, you know, when you are a consultant, your client looks at you like you have all the answers. And we know deep down the side, we don't, 
have all the answers sometimes, <laughs> right? Like, right. And like, <laughs> You're telling like, my secrets here. Yep. <laughs> yeah. But like when you, when you learn testing, when I discovered testing, it's like, I don't have to pretend to have all the answers. Let's go get the best ideas on the table and let's go put it to the market and let's allow the donors to be our instructors. Let's let them teach us if we're right or wrong based on their behavior. And that has been so incredibly liberating for me. It's just like, you know, sometimes the answer, I don't know, is acceptable, right? As long as you have a, a way to go find the answer. And that's what, for me, testing is all about. Right. And that also speaks to just, it's okay to not know because you're just gathering data. I know a lot of nonprofits, especially the newer ones, the founders are so passionate and so close to their cause. It gets to be incredibly personal, but if you can step outside of that and just make it more data-based and step away from that, it's not a personal insult. This is really valuable intelligence about your organization and how you can improve and get it to where you want it to be. So just stepping away from that personal attachment and don't get your feelings hurt, but let it spur you on. That's right. That's an interesting direction. And so I know I work with a lot of smaller nonprofits that maybe don't have the big marketing teams and experience and training. So what would be some basic marketing tips that you would recommend where they could kind of step it up a little bit? Sure. Well, that simple one is like, you know, if you're going to send a a fundraising email, like send it like as a plain text email, as it it is like from a friend. The second thing I would say, so that would be like, that's one of the most impactful things that'll make a big difference. I I almost can guarantee it. Right. And on that, would you put any kind of link or call to action or button or anything in that? Yeah. If you're asking them to give a gift, to have a link and have it go to your donation page and allow them to go and respond by, you know, giving there for sure. Mm -hmm. And then the second place that I would focus, and again, I'm speaking from my perspective of like digital fundraising. So that's my, (laughs) that's where I can give you the most value is on the donation page. So one of the things that we found is when we like, we've surveyed hundreds and hundreds of different organizations, donation pages is that on the donation page, they use very few words. And I think the common conventional wisdom is that once we get them there, they're fully made up their mind that they're going to give. And anything that we put in their way is like friction that'll slow them down or stop them dead in their tracks. And that's simply not true because here's, here's, here's why. So across the nonprofit industry, less than 20% of the people that click the donate button on the website actually complete the donation. That's an interesting statistic. And you say, well, why? Right? That's what it should provoke is the question of, well, why is that? I mean, if they're clicking donate, aren't they aren't they demonstrating an intent to want to give financial support to this organization? That's what you would surmise. But the reality is, is once you get to the donation page, there's a lot of decisions you have to make. One thing that's very different being a nonprofit from a for-profit company is that when you're a nonprofit, your customers determine the price, right? The donors decide how much they're going to give. And that's only one decision they have to make, but they also have to make a decision. Do I want to make this a one-time gift or recurring? And do I have, they have to make a decision. How am I going to pay? And they have to make a decision. Do I want to designate my gift in some way? Do I want to make this gift in, in memory or in honor of somebody, right? Do I want to like go and, I mean, there's all these little micro decisions and honestly, like every single one of those decisions, like if you read uh, Daniel Kahneman, where he talks about like, you know, the two different ways, like the brain works, there's like system one and system two. And like system, system one is where I like, I say one plus one. And like you say, 
two. Yeah, you don't have to think about it. You just answer. Right. But if I said like 164 times 6,497, you're like, uh, you freeze up. Let me ask my son. (laughs) I know, right? It it requires work and it slows you down. And that's the same thing that happens like when people are going through the process of making these different decisions. For example, when they get that to that place where it says, I want to make this gift in memory of somebody. They're like, oh, I didn't think about that. You know what? I should probably go talk to my spouse or my partner and and just, uh, yeah, you know, I'll come back to this later. How right? much did we want to do? Yeah. 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 And then, and then later never happens and you, and you lose them. Right. So it's mm-hmm. like, there's all these like different things, like these psychological things that are happening to people as they go through the process of completing a donation. But the number one thing I know this is a long winded rant, but, uh, the, <laughs> the number one thing that's missing from that page is the compelling reason to continue with giving the gift. Right. Mm-hmm. So what we have found and we've tested over and over again, you know, taking that value proposition, the reasons why somebody should give and using the page to lay out a very powerful argument for why they should continue to do that, right? So using copy or text to complete that decision that they want to make to actually give the gifts. We found that simply like doing that, like going from a donation page that has like maybe one or two sentences of copy. And it's usually just a command like donate now, donate here, you know, Thank you for your donation. You're thanking them before they even do it. You know what I mean? So, and moving into like laying out a very like lucid, compelling reason why somebody should actually make that gift. 100, 200, 300, 400% increase in donations by simply doing that, adding that to the page. So sending plain text emails and then putting on your donation page more copy that explains the reasons why what they are doing. Because like, that's the thing is like people make decisions emotionally. And then they try to rationalize it with like the, you know, they're kind of like rational brain. Mm-hmm. And if there's not something there to continue to reinforce, oh yes, that in- instinct you have, that visceral response of wanting to give is a good one. Continue mm-hmm. with it. Like the, mm-hmm. that's a lot like what I keep saying with grant writing, make it clear, concise, compelling. So mm-hmm. your donate page should be the same way. You don't want to just overwhelm them with chunks and chunks of ongoing story, but make it super clear and compelling and really add that copy, just like good copywriting in business. Exactly. I think that what, what most people do is they are on the side of not having enough. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, I would say yeah, definitely. definitely take a look at that. Yeah. And it does take some time and thought to really sit down and map out a good website copy for the page. So that may just be something that they hadn't thought about and hadn't realized the importance of that. I know several episodes ago, I did one specifically on decision fatigue and how it affects nonprofit leaders, but we can flip that very easily for donors. And we make over 65,000 decisions a day on a normal day. And then you throw in extra stuff going on. And the more decisions we make, the more our brains just kind of overload fog over. Yeah. 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 So I'm sure that's the same way if we think about that in the context of the donor journey. So those are great tips. For sure. I mean, look at Amazon, right? So like if you've ever ordered anything on Amazon, you just like click and like, boom, order now and it's done. Like you don't think about it. It's like so frictionless. It's amazing, right? Yes. They've even made that one click button. Yeah, I know. Don't even have to go to the shopping cart. It's a little (laughs) dangerous. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you have obviously been in nonprofit work for a long time here and have some great experience. So share a resource that has been meaningful to you along the way. Ooh, okay. Again, this is my geeky, you know, digital marketing guy coming out. It's called Neuro Web Design. Mm. What makes them click? I can't remember the. Oh, it's great. It's it's such an easy, quick read. Uh, it's got like pictures and examples, but it's like basically 
taking behavioral science and showing you examples of how it's applied to marketing. Like for example, uh, like reciprocity, right? So one of the things that we do all the time is like, we'll, we'll try to find different things that we can actually give to potential donors that represent significant value to them. So like, here's a free ebook that we just you know wrote, or here's an online course that we created, or here's this, you know, other type of resources, this video series. And, you know, when you give somebody something, what re- reciprocity, the theory of reciprocity is like, they feel indebted to you. And so they, they have this desire to kind of even the playing field. They want to pay you back. Right. And so there's this kind of like, you know, I, I gave you something you owe me. And so then if I asked you to give a donation, then you're more primed to actually do that. So like it, it gives you examples of that kind of thing or, or like social validation, how like when you see other people doing something, the bandwagon effects, like you want to kind of follow along and be part of the, be part of the group. So that's a great book. It's really easy. Like I said, a quick read. It's, it's where I got a lot of ideas of things to start experimenting with on the nonprofit side uh, in digital marketing. So that would be a great one. Mm, I'm going to have to check that out. I'm always looking for a good read, but that sounds like one I could totally geek out on. Totally. Yeah. That's Are great. you familiar with The Brainy Business with Melina Palmer? She has a podcast Ooh, on no, behavioral that, economics. That sounds like something I'd, I'd be interested in. I, I've been on a few behavioral economics uh, kind of podcasts, and they're always fascinating. I learned so much. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's really interesting. Yeah, you would enjoy hers if you like that kind of thing. Yeah, she's really good at cool. that type of stuff, too. That was my first, when I first heard the term, I was that, mm, that sounds boring. But when I realized what it was, it's like, Ooh, that's fascinating. Yeah. You do it every day. You didn't realize it. Yeah. <laughs> didn't even know it. <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. So where can people find you online if they want to connect and find out more? Sure. Uh, well, I'm on LinkedIn. If you can figure out how to spell Kachuriak, uh, or actually just type Kachuriak into Google, I'll show up. I'm, I'm the only <laughs> I'll one. put it in the show notes just <laughs> in case. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you want to check out more from Next After, you can get, go to our website, nextafter.com. And we have tons and tons and tons of free resources for nonprofits. So like that's kind of our mission is to decode what works in mm-hmm. digital fundraising and then get it to as many fundraisers as possible. So I think we've got like, you know, over 3,000 experiments, all open source. You can go check all that about. We've got templates, guides, ebooks, webinars. You know, we do twice a month. Online certification courses, if you really want to geek out, that's all available. So you can check that out. Yeah. Mm, sounds like a good resource. And then did you, you mentioned something else coming up that you wanted to share about? Yes. So every year for the last six years, we host what's called the Nonprofit Innovation and Optimization Summit. And it moves from city to city. And what this, the concept of this, this conference is, you know, I go to a lot of nonprofit conferences and it's like a lot of the same old, same old, but when I go to like for-profit digital marketing conferences, I meet some people that are doing amazing bleeding edge stuff. And I was like, why don't they ever come and speak to our nonprofit community? So the nonprofit innovation optimization summit brings about 16 to 18 digital marketing leaders, most of them from the for-profit space that have relevance for our work in the nonprofit space. We bring them together for two days to just pour into our nonprofit community. The conference is themed every year. So like this year, it'll be Willy Wonka or actually Willy Wonder is our, is our Willy Wonka, but it's, uh, you know, we'll have a chocolate river and you know, the, the naughty kids that do fundraising wrong, wrong get taken away. And it, 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 <laughs> you know how to bring them in. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, uh, I don't know. I think I, I wanted to be an actor when I was younger and like <laughs> really had like uh, the courage to do that. So this is like me living out like all those. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> 
Sounds good. Yeah. And it's interesting you're doing that. I'm speaking at a conference coming up, doing a workshop on top 10 myths about grant writing. And what you were saying, I feel like you could do a list on top 10 myths about marketing for nonprofits in kind of a similar type of topic, because you mentioned some of those very common misconceptions and things people think they need when really they don't. So yeah, it's kind of along those same lines. I'm glad that people are starting to have more resources and find out about more resources like this where they can learn and kind of overcome some of those misconceptions. That's right. Yeah. There's a lot of misinformation out there. And again, like that's where when you put it to the test, data does not lie. (laughs) (laughs) Or usually doesn't lie. I guess like people can spin it in ways to make it lie, but like usually it doesn't lie. (laughs) You can skew it, but yeah, we're not talking about that. It's just the actual hardcore numbers. Well, very good. Well, thank you so much. This has been such great information and I will definitely put all those links in the show notes so people can reference and hopefully they will connect with you to learn more. Awesome. Thank you so much, Teresa. All right. Thank you. Okay, friends, were you as intrigued by this as I was? I would love to hear your thoughts and comments. Come join me over in the free LinkedIn community, Grant Writing Simplified, and let's discuss this further. I'd love to hear how you're going to use these tips in your work, whether it's grant writing or working with nonprofits in their marketing. All right, friends, remember you can join me on the fast track to grant writer at teresahuff.com slash VIP when you are ready to make a massive impact on the world. Okay, have a great week and go change your world.